Welcome to Modern Marketing Messages, the leading podcast discussing the latest and greatest in both online and offline marketing tactics, strategies, and trends. I'm your host, Taylor Karg, marketing content writer at AmericanEagle.com. Today, we're going to talk about something that, as a writer myself, is very near and dear to my heart, content, and more specifically, content governance. For those of you who aren't very familiar with what content governance is, think of it as a blueprint for how your content is planned, created, and distributed. So to chat about content governance in detail, I have here with me two amazing AmericanEagle.com content specialists, Tyler Bachman and Al Edwards. Tyler, Al, do you guys want to introduce yourselves and kind of just explain your experience in the industry, how long you've been at the company, and what you do for us here? Yeah, absolutely, Taylor. Thank you so much for having us, by the way. We're excited to be here. I'm Tyler Bachman. I am the content organization manager here for something we call the Content Center of Excellence. So uh, I've been with the company about two years at this point. I have a kind of a long history and background in broadcast journalism. I came from managing different newsrooms at a group of different radio stations, one in Western Illinois, and then another one out in the Fox Valley. So it's fun to be back behind a microphone here today. <laughs> but yeah, essentially my role here at the company is to uh, be a content specialist and a content creator. At the same time, I help our team kind of keep track of all the different tasks that we have and, and making sure that our content is good quality work, but also keeping it organized. And so really, I would say I'm the organizational person on our team. And I'll introduce Al, who is much more of our quality person. <laughs> thank you so much. Taylor, thank you for having us today. It's a great pleasure to be here. My name is Al Edwards. I've been at American Eagle for about four years, and I'm a senior content writer, and I have focused over the years on pretty much every industry that we do website development for that we've had the great pleasure of writing content for. A lot of many different types of businesses, small, large, everything in between. I'm a published author. I have a book on Amazon, and I'm responsible for the overall quality of the content that we produce for our customers at AmericanEagle.com. So two things here, Al, why don't you tell us the name of your book just so people can look it up? Wow, a free plug. I didn't realize that <laughs> would have that. The name of my book is Four Failures Who Changed the World. And the uh, basic idea of the book is I took four very famous people that everyone would know and talked about their backstory about all the adversity and failure that they had before they became so successful. And those four people are Henry Ford, Thomas Edison, Abraham Lincoln, and believe it or not, Colonel Sanders from KFC. <laughs> And Love I chose it. Colonel Sanders because he was 65 years old when Kentucky Fried Chicken came out. So the lesson there is never give up. It's never too late. Yep. That's awesome. So everyone, check that out for us, please. And then just going back to kind of what Tyler was talking about in his introduction, you mentioned the Content Center of Excellence. Can you just explain a little bit about what that is? Yeah, the Content Center of Excellence is really our group of uh, writers here at AmericanEagle.com, but it's it's so much more than that. It's not just having individual writers you know, completing tasks, it's having a cohesive unit, be able to keep things to a set of standards and to be able to constantly learn and evolve and grow with all the different kind of business units that we work with. So our Content Center of Excellence works very closely with our digital marketing department, as well as our content strategy department. And then we're also branching out to new departments all the time within our company. So really it's about giving ourselves the greatest overall reach for us internally, as well as to work with our different businesses that we work with. And a lot of Taylor, a lot of customers that come to us for a full site rebuild where they need a whole brand new website have utilized our content services to write brand new and effective content for their new website. So that's been a lot of fun as well. 
Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I'm glad to have you guys on the podcast today. And then it sounds like you really know what you're doing. We hope so. Yeah. Some days. So. <laughs> we'll, we'll find out. So I think, you know, before we talk about content governance, I think we should quickly discuss just the importance of content in terms of business growth and success. We all know the saying, content is king, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think as writers ourselves, it, that terminology kind of makes us all roll our eyes a little bit because it's like, you hear that nonstop, nonstop, but it is so true. Content has become such a valuable asset to businesses' online growth and success. It helps educate audiences and establishes thought leadership. It helps businesses become more visible on Google, which then helps them grow. And it's an easy way to share and promote your business online. So with that all being said, Tyler and Al, I want both of you to kind of explain to me in your own opinions what makes content so important for businesses today. Sure. Well, to me, I think that content is something that encompasses pretty much every kind of communication system and channel that you have. And that includes your communication with customers as well as potential customers and even your own staff. So it's kind of that bridge, if you will, to answering questions. We talk about the what, why, how questions a lot. What do you do? Why should I care as the customer? And then how do I get started? Those are all kind of core areas of the way that our businesses that we work with connect with their customers. So the content is really that bridge, if you will. It's getting somebody to really have that connection and to be able to grow that. To me, I think content is one of the biggest selling points for someone who's considering working with you. And it's that because if it's done effectively, you really have an opportunity to grow that business relationship. So content is, when we talk about content is king, and I think that is probably different for a lot of different people, to us, we see that as that main targeted bridge between just having a conversation and then moving that relationship forward from a business perspective. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because if you look at the evolution of the internet in the last 10 or 15 years, just worldwide, you know, a lot of the emphasis and focus was on kind of the look and feel of a website, of Mm -hmm. how cool it looked or what could it do, what functionality did it have. And then along the way, someone, you know, finally said, hey, wait a second, there are real human beings reading this. Right. And we want those human beings to do something after they read what's on our website. So content has really played a huge role in not only SEO, search engine optimization, being able to rank as highly as possible on a search result, like when a potential customer will Google something and your company comes up as high as possible. But also, like I said, there's good old fashioned human beings on the other end of that computer who are reading what you wrote. And we want to move them in some way. We want them to take an action, to be inspired, to be motivated, to take an action that our customer wants them to take. Yeah, That emotional connection too, right? Like it's really, it's the difference between having something that could be glazed over and really making that personal connection. That It's the first line of defense, I suppose, if you will. Exactly. And, and Tyler mentioned the what and the how and the why. A lot of content out there focuses on what a company does, how they do it, We like to focus, of course, on all those things, but we also focus on the why. The why. Why does someone get out of bed every morning and do the company that they do? That is the compelling story. That's the story that will move people, and that's the image and vision that we want to portray in our content for our customers. Yeah, I love that. And just I think it's easy to think about it in a way as what you would want to read as the consumer. Mm Mm-hmm you're going to glaze over something that you're not forming that emotional connection with or something that you're not seeing that passion from. Exactly. I always say as high tech as the world gets, human nature never changes and human beings are craving more than ever that connection with others. Yeah, Yeah. we, we always come back to this idea of storytelling, right? Like 
you can have all the greatest data and analytics in the world and all that is important but if you don't have a story to go behind it to tie it all together it's kind of useless exactly absolutely so let's talk about governance and i think we're going to start with internal governance tyler this is kind of you know more up your alley in your role as a content management lead for the content center of excellence i briefly explained what content governance is in the intro of this podcast but can you just describe it to someone who maybe isn't really sure what it exactly it entails? Yeah, it kind of encompasses a couple of things, right? And I think the biggest thing that content governance encompasses is accountability. It's one of those aspects where you may have a team structure that is built and exists already, but if there's not good accountability and escalation points, then things kind of get lost, things kind of move forward, and you can hit certain roadblocks. So really, to me, um, content governance deals with that accountability factor. The other thing that it deals with is this idea of cross-collaboration. So, for example, you may have a number of different content creation units within a business, but we talk about this idea of pillars and kind of getting stuck in them at times. If you don't have good cross-collaboration, you may be missing opportunities to cross-promote your content you know, from one area of the business to another. So content governance kind of ties it all together. It gives us that overarching picture that has process and structure to it. So what does a successful content team look like? Yeah. Well, we talk about this idea of, we were talking about storytelling before, and it it really comes down to communication, I think. A successful content team is one that communicates well, but it is also an organized team. So we're talking about producers who aren't just being given random tasks or being put into areas that they maybe aren't comfortable with, but playing to their strengths. So if you've got someone that's got experience in a certain area or has interest in it, has done some research behind it, kind of understanding you know, where their strengths lie and be able to, to match them with projects and tasks that do that. I also think a successful content team always has to be evolving. I know for us, we work with so many different types of businesses here at AmericanEagle.com that uh, we're constantly evolving on our content team, for example. So we talk about always encompassing new ideas, always adding to our, a repertoire of information that we gather and sharing that on really a daily basis through meetings and through talking just, you know, in our, our conversations. Awesome. And in, in the beginning of that, you mentioned accountability. And I think that's a huge thing that may be kind of left a little bit on the back burner because a lot of people, they don't talk about accountability as much as they should. And I think that is really kind of where the bread and the butter is, is just being accountable for all the actions that you need to complete and all being accountable for writing the story and being accountable for researching all the information that you need for the story and being accountable to push that story through. Yeah, I think accountability really does kind of encompass those things. But it also, it's kind of a measure to keep those communication channels in line. So for example, yes, you may have uh, a set number of tasks that need to be completed by one person. But from an accountability standpoint, you want to have somebody who can help answer questions, you know, higher up, if you will. So if you've got things that you need to take care of and to talk about with somebody who maybe isn't involved every day in the content creation process, but is there to check in to make sure that things are being taken care of, that's where that accountability factor comes in. And it's, it's really about surfacing the communication between, you know, multiple individuals. Awesome. You kind of answered this already, but how is a content team organized? You talked a little bit about it, but can you talk a little bit about the different roles that are associated in content governance and content teams in general? Yeah, I think, you know, when we talk about how the team is organized, it plays into where different strengths lie. I think that we 
kind of think about organizing your content teams in a fashion of not just looking at it from individual tasks, but looking at it from an overarching view. So for example, something that we do a lot here on our team is maybe we'll have a full site that we're working on, right? Instead of just individual blogs. Well, you really as a content creator become the expert on understanding how to create that content. When I say the expert, I don't mean necessarily the expert of the business because they'll work with stakeholders and have interviews and meetings to kind of understand that. But they do become the expert on being able to put together pieces of content that are cohesive, that work with each other, that are marketable, digestible, things that are going to be easy for somebody to read at really any kind of level. You know, we talk here about something called the Flesh Kincaid Index, which is riding towards like a certain type of grade level. And Without really getting into too much detail about it, the idea behind it is just to make it so that somebody who could be at you know a level as high as a CEO or something like that, they're going to have a, a very busy day. They're going to have lots that's going on. They need to even be somebody that can see something quickly and can digest it and understand it and then mm-hmm. make decisions off of it. So, yeah, we really like we talk about our content team being organized to understand more than just individual tasks, but that overall cohesive structure. That kind of leads me into my next question of the overall structure. So how does governance work for companies that don't have a specific dedicated content team, say for, you know, internal marketing teams? Do they kind of follow some kind of internal governance? I think that that the way that it would work is it's more putting in a role structure than it is something with a title structure. One of the things that when we've worked with clients before that we always want to stress is it's not this idea of you have to create six new titles or whatnot within your team, but it's more of this understanding who's going to do what and who's going to be accountable for what. So for example, on a general marketing team, you may have a group of you know three to four kind of talented individuals, right? But they need some assistance figuring out the best way to operate as one kind of unit. And that comes through things like creating content processes, having content standards that are understood, the escalation process to have questions answered when challenges arise. And that really goes back to what we've talked about it being the essence of content governance, right? So it's this idea of making those sorts of accountability changes, but also making them kind of one step at a time. One thing we also talk about when we create sections for these things called content experience guides is you don't have to implement everything at once, right? It's something that you can do a little bit at a time to start making sustainable long-term change. Yeah, I like that. I like how it kind of acts as a guide. And, you know, it's not necessarily that you have to check something off right away and everything Mm -hmm. has to change right then and there. It's kind of just something that, okay, well, this is what we can work towards when we're building our content team. Yeah, and one of the things we really try to do for our governance, especially if we're working with a client who's trying to set up a better, you know, internal governance plan, is to give them ideas to work off of and then customize it for what they think is going to work best on on their timeline and their schedule. So again, most of the companies that we're working with, uh, they may have, you know, content teams that are built in already and we talk with them about their strengths. We also talk about where maybe they want to improve and then we, we come up with a good timeline of how we can start to implement some of these different processes. So have you run into any kind of challenges? Because it seems to me that you guys have had experience, you know, building these content teams and helping them understand governance for customers. Have you run into any sorts of challenges with this? Yeah, I think, you know, every specific client has their own challenges here and there. They also have tons of strengths and they have things that are working well, but they just need a little bit of assistance in figuring out how to better communicate. And when I always I talk about governance, I sound like the squeaky wheel because I come back to communication, but that's really what a lot of this is. So, okay, here's an example. One of the ways we've kind of helped them overcome challenges is through offering recommendations like cross-collaboration methods. I kind of mentioned that idea before. 
But, you know, you may have those different content pillars that are operating and taking on each of their daily, weekly tasks, monthly tasks, but they may be falling short on having those cross-collaboration opportunities. So something as simple as recommending, hey, why don't you have your leadership get together once a week or twice a week to brainstorm ideas of how you can bring things together, create an action plan, and then cross-collaborate your content that way. Which really, it's it's simple, but it's things that um, you know could fall by the wayside unless you have a process in place. Yeah. And so we, we'll recommend things like that to them. We also talk about putting together process tools. So for example, we will usually give kind of a mock content calendar so you can see how not just your own unit is working, but how it all works as one cohesive you know, system. And that's really the idea is to get away from this idea of different content pillars and bring them into one cohesive system that's producing. And additionally, I would say that probably one of the challenges that we've been asked about is how do we get the buy-in, right? Like how do we get yeah, the buy-in from yeah. everybody to be able to encompass this? And that again comes back to just doing a little bit of at a time. There's always going to be a few hurdles to get over. Almost any kind of project that you work on, even for us here, there's always that knowledge transfer, right? Like mm -hmm. there always takes a little bit of time. But after the first couple of assignments, things you get through, you start to really see the effectiveness of it. You start to see how wow, I wish we would have had this process yeah. all along because it makes things so much more efficient. Our content is better. Our quality is better. We have better communication, like, you know, outside of even our daily content completion. And yeah, that's really the essence. Once you hit that point and it's kind of that aha moment, Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's when you see how important content governance really is. You've mentioned a lot about communication. And so when you're working on blog posts for a customer or even a full site design of their content, how do internal stakeholders communicate with external stakeholders throughout this whole process? That seems like, you know, you would really have to have very solidified processes in place so that things just don't get lost in translation. Sure. Well, and, and even when you say that, you do, but you don't at the same time because it always starts with a conversation. Yeah. It always starts with the idea of, let's get a better feel of what your business does, what you're doing, what you want to do, what you want to accomplish what you've maybe seen from partner agencies or something like that that you really like that you want to incorporate into your own uh, business plan. So it always starts with a conversation. And we actually just have had a training with our writers yesterday when we were talking about continuing to accelerate our process with working hand in hand with customers. So everything from you know, understand what makes this business special. Who are the people that are working within this business and what makes them special? Why do they enjoy doing what they do? And that comes back to the storytelling aspect, right? Like that's what makes content that is just baseline and not emotional, not as good really as stuff that is emotional and things that really make that connection with the customer. Those are the elements that really tie together, you know, the business and what the story is. So yeah, I would say that it always starts with a conversation. The other thing is you may have times as a content writer that you're talking about complex products, a complex industry, services that are being provided. So I'll give you a little bit of information about one tool that we use, which is called a page table. And and really what this is, is a an outline of what you would put on each specific page, but it's a, I call it a glorified outline because <laughs> it talks to more elements of what is the page objective and how it fits in with the rest of the pages on the site? Who are the audience members that are included? It also talks to what are the main goals of what that page is going to accomplish. And content is always a cyclical process. So say a year from now, if you have that page created and you don't think it's accomplishing what you want it to, you can always pull up that archive page table and, and revisit it. And I should mention as well that the people that are involved in creating this page table are both 
the stakeholders internally, so somebody who is the writer, versus external stakeholders, which could be like subject matter experts or individuals that need to be in the room to know what's going to be on on that page. So yeah, a page table is something that's very effective to use that you can use, you know, within your own content teams to be able to create effective content that can always be revisited if it needs to be. Yeah, and I like the idea of having something solidified document so that you could go back to it, you know, say a year later, you're like, hey, well, this was our objective. Are we meeting our objective or not with this blog post or whatever, really. Yeah. And really, it saves time as well, right? Like you could have a situation where you have a content writer that creates a piece of content, but not everyone was informed from the beginning of what was going to be on the page. This really gives eyes for everyone that should have a say in what's going to be on that content page uh, to be able to do that. And it, it makes the process a lot easier for everyone involved. And so we've found with tools like that, you can really elevate your content game. That's awesome. I think a lot of teams could use an efficient tool like that. Al, I want to talk to you about expectation setting for content quality. And this kind of goes along with your role in the content center of excellence as the content quality manager. And so for your guys' team, how do you set expectations for quality? Sure. Well, in our game or our business, quality is a very multifaceted thing. I feel like it's very subjective. It can be, certainly. At the end of the day, though, I think quality boils down to a couple of things. Number one, the fundamentals of good writing, meaning that, you know, when you put content on your website or your social media channel, you want it to be free of typos, misspellings, grammar problems, anything that would unintentionally kind of hit your credibility as a company because, you know, people pick up on that and they say, oh, gee, look at that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then quality also from what we're hired to do, we are hired to create content that is effective for our customers. And quality could mean SEO, search engine optimization. We do a lot of work with our SEO team to make sure that the words and phrases or headers that we use in our content are attractive to Google so that when someone Googles, you know, ABC plumbing or plumbing in whatever town, you're going to come up as highly as possible. So that's a big part of quality. And then also the second part of quality on that second level, as I said before, is really reaching your reader, whether you're a technical website or a more fun website or a doctor or something in between. We want to reach our audience. We want to touch them in a way that they are going to be motivated to do something. And in our business, we call that a conversion. So whether your conversion goal is to have them give you your email or buy something or contact you, that is what we're trying to evoke a response from. So who is responsible for setting those expectations, which I feel like, you know, is kind of a loaded question because it would depend on what you just talked about, what the conversion would be, you know, and what that level is, and then also the customer. But do you guys work with customers on setting those expectations? Well, very much so. I mean, we do a lot of work with, first of all, finding out what our customer is trying to accomplish. They always say if, uh, you know, you get in your car and you know where you're going, you're going to do a lot better than just driving aimlessly around kind of thing, (laughs) right? You're going to get to your destination many more times. So we spend a lot of time with our customers understanding what their goals are. What are they trying to do? And then kind of everything else falls into place from there. We know we want to get here. How do we do it? What tools can we use to do it? Tell us about you. What makes you special? Why should someone choose you over another company, et cetera? 
Awesome. Do you create a style guide for customers or do you kind of have one internally that you have your writers stick to? Well, we do. Yes, we do have a style guide at AmericanEagle.com. And Tyler and I and a wonderful lady who couldn't be here today, Rachel Bennett, who is part of the management team of our content area, Content Center of Excellence, we did put together a style guide. So our writers are consistent in a lot of important ways. And we have done work for several customers, actually helping them develop a style guide internally. And I know Tyler's been involved directly with some of those. Tyler, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I would say that we have our own style guide, but we also can customize different stylistic elements for you know whatever the certain client is. So for example, we've had uh, different projects before where we have had to have a, a really good overarching view of maybe whatever services are included for that client. We've had to be very specific to different types of language that we're speaking to. And so really, we have that kind of guidelines. We've both seen those and be able to use those in our own content and created them. We've actually also helped clients create their own style guides at times in the past when you know maybe they have awesome, great ideas that they want to put together, but they're not exactly sure how to write it, how to put it together, how to format it, how to make it one big document. And so, and I should say too, making it an interactive document. So if you've got 70 pages of content, right, but the person who's looking at it's like, where do I start? Well, making it easy for them to find whatever they're looking for. So yeah, we've customized different style guides specifically for projects that we're working on and creating the content for. But at the same time, we've helped clients create their own style guides that their content writers can use. And I think style guides are a great tool because in the name of having a cohesive content structure to your entire website or your social media channel or whatever you want to do, even if you write on different topics or different things in your industry, you want to have kind of a unified, cohesive mm -hmm. style or theme to it. So it all works together and one complements the other. And Style Guide is just one of those tools that we help our customers with. I would also say that creating these style guides definitely comes from experience, like from the experience that our different team members have from working with different clients. We've accumulated those different things over, I guess, a lot of years, you could say, Yeah. because you run into situations where you have a question, what should I do here? You know, how should I say this? What would be the correct way to put it together? So really, we've encompassed our own style guide and then ones we can use for the future by a lot of different experience of, you know, circumstances that you come across in different projects. Yeah, just real quick, I want to add to that. You know, when we talk about style, you know, for example, every person has a certain style of the way they dress or the way yeah. they want to have their car look or anything like that. Every company has their own style, their own brand, their own voice, their own Absolutely. audience. And it's certainly not a one size fits all. So even though we help customers be cohesive, we also pay a lot of attention to making sure that the voice and the brand and the audience and the tone of that customer is unique to them. A lot of times when we have new writers start, I always tell them, you have to be a chameleon. So just because you wrote a certain way for XYZ company doesn't mean you can write that same way for ABC. We really have to be everything for them uniquely, and then we go from each customer just in that same way. It's a very diligent process. I know from my own experience, I was working at a magazine and that was all AP style. And then I went to another magazine and that was Chicago Manual of Style. So and it's like there's very different nuances, you know, just very subtle differences in there of what it is. But exactly what you were talking about, you have to be a chameleon and you have to stay on your toes because it's, it's a lot of different things that you have to remember at one time. And as a chameleon, it's not easy to stay on your toes. Yeah. I don't know if you've <laughs> ever seen a chameleon on their toes too much, but... <laughs> 
yeah, Al is also in charge of the dad jokes uh, yeah. for yes. the content team. So. I do offer free dad jokes to our customers. So <laughs> free, if you should charge. Maybe we should charge for that, actually. Five bucks a pop. I think they're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to talk a little bit about editing practices and going along with style, editing practices vary immensely between companies. What works for one company may not work for another. Who edits all of the content that is produced on your guys' team? And just can you guys walk me through the editing processes? Sure. Well, we always talk a lot about on our team that when you write something, whatever you've written is about a half an inch away from your nose. In other words, you're into it, you've absorbed it, you're so close to it that sometimes you can't see some things that need to be changed or edited. So we have dedicated people that will, you know, I'll write something or Tyler will write something or Rachel will write something or one of our great team members. And they'll say, hey, you know, take a look at this. We have a definite routine where we'll have other people look at work before it goes out because when you're that close to it, like I said, you cannot see it as clearly as someone else could. Mm -hmm. And that's the magic of editing. And I would say the goal of editing is to just produce really clear, crisp, compelling content. And by having other eyes, other human beings look at that, really makes it a powerful tool. And I would definitely suggest for companies that are trying to build their own content team that you have a dedicated editor of someone who looks at stuff independently from the people who wrote it. Yeah, I would just add to that, you know, one of the things that makes the editing process really special and and what other companies could use is making sure that your editors that are on it, maybe you're coming from a different perspective. Maybe they aren't your traditional person who's written just for that specific topic, right? Maybe it's somebody who's had experience elsewhere in the company that it would make sense for them to to give it a fresh set of eyes because you'll discover things that you would say, wow, I, I never really even thought about phrasing it that way or talking about it this way. So I would say that it's not always necessary to have somebody aligned with it on the editing side that maybe hasn't been involved in whatever that you know topic is. Give it a fresh set of eyes and a yeah. new perspective just to be able to see that. And really, it makes your document all that much better for the final version. And different writers have different ways of looking at things. You know, Tyler, coming from a news background, I remember that when I would write, a lot of times I would kind of want to introduce the sentence followed by a comma, and Tyler would just say to me, just say it. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to, Get to ramp up. You yeah. don't have to ramp up and introduce it. Just say it. Things like that, you know, you need each other. You need peer support. You need that kind of knife sharpening the knife that you don't maybe see it, but someone else sees it, and it makes you a better writer, and our customers can do that internally as well. Yeah. Does each writer on your guys' team, are they assigned an editor? Or kind of can you just tell me a little bit about how that works for you guys internally? It goes back to the peer review process where we would have, maybe it would be somebody that has worked within whatever that industry is before that could to give it a set of eyes. But at the same time, we might just assign someone as well that gives it a second edit or whatnot yeah. um, that hasn't been you know within that industry to kind of give it a fresh perspective as well. So yeah, I don't know if there's necessarily an exact science to it when it comes to when it comes to the assignment process of yeah. it. But what I would say is that we always put a fresh set of eyes as well as experienced eyes on it as well for whatever that topic is. Yeah, we would always recommend that someone be assigned, you know, depending upon the size of your team. If you only have a four person team, you know, you can't make three of them editors and one writer, you know, yeah. if it's like too many right. cooks in the kitchen yeah. spoil the broth, as they say. <laughs> but, Dad joke uh, number two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know, If you have a smaller team, assign one person to be the editor because the three writers that maybe wrote it or the two writers may not see something, but that person has that set of eyes that maybe they can point stuff out to make it tighter or make it better or make it more 
understandable or more towards your goals, things of that nature. But that is a very much a routine practice of the writing team here at AmericanEagle.com is that we're always looking at each other's you know material and trying to make it as best as possible. Yeah, Absolutely. And, and and you really the best editor and usually what you can put into place anywhere is if you have someone who's inquisitive that's really interested in wanting to have that understanding of the content and maybe they, so maybe they aren't like the subject matter expert on it get somebody that's inquisitive and make them your editor because they'll ask questions to the content to say what were you trying to accomplish here yeah or where were you going with this and then that makes the writer think of i need to answer that question yeah. right like so maybe i need to be more clear or i need to be more specific or get to the point faster those are the types of individuals that I think that we always look out for editors to be able to, you know, have them have eyes on a project. And that's not always fun sometimes because you think you wrote something you're very so proud great. of and yeah. you're like, oh my, oh, oh trust Shakespeare's me, I've been got there many times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then someone says, yeah, but I don't understand. And you're, you know, you have to go back and fix it. But that, again, that makes it the best content that you can come up with. It all goes back to that fresh perspective kind of thing, you know, and it's like Tyler was talking about, I kind of enjoy having someone who maybe isn't a subject matter expert on what I'm writing about, read it because they're able to say, well, I didn't really understand what you were saying in this sentence. You need to explain it a little more because like you said, it is an inch away from our nose. So we think, you know, we're doing a great job of explaining something or getting the point across and someone else with a fresh perspective can be like, I have no clue what you were trying to say there. I'll give you a real quick example of that. Actually, I was writing something for a company about power of attorneys, which is a document that people will give essentially decision-making authority to someone if they can't, you know, because they're ill or, you know, something like that. And the person said, you know, a power of attorney is actually the document and also a person is also called the power of attorney. So halfway through the piece, they said, I couldn't tell if the POA or the power of attorney was a person or the document that you're referring to. And that never occurred to me. And I look back, I'm like, wow. So I added a paragraph at the top saying that a power of attorney could be both a person and a document. And that really clarified the piece. And that was kind of that input was helpful that I didn't see. Yeah. Speaking of kind of ways to clarify on a piece, when we talk about editing, one of the biggest things I think that an editor helps out with is making sure that things are formatted correctly also. So we're talking about things like not just having big bulk paragraphs, right, all the yeah. way down a page. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this digestibility thing, of which encompasses bullet points, short sentences, having a powerful call to action, that sort of a thing. But really, it's also making sure that your headers are self-explanatory. For somebody who's maybe looking on that page for something specific, if they're looking through and they say, hey, this is really what I came here for, headings are the perfect tool to be able to take you straight to that. And that's something that an editor can help with oh, quite yeah. a bit to make sure that if you've been a writer on it and you know, you've know you just been powering through the piece, maybe they'll suggest, hey, make your headers a little bit more clear so that somebody who's looking at this piece can find what they're looking for. I mean, that also helps with SEO too. Like that's one of the main points of SEO is creating things that are easily digestible with headers that really make sense so that someone can find what they're looking for. Yeah, and Google finding it too. We use headers a lot with SEO. So when Google is uh, crawling the internet for a particular topic, it will find those headers. And the stronger those are to the topic, the better chance you have that it will show your result. What type of editing processes would you recommend to marketing teams out there who are just starting out with you know, developing their own content team and their own content framework? Well, like I said, you want to appoint someone that is kind of a an objective view on things. As people write things, you want to run it by the editor to make sure that 
It's meeting the goals. It's coherent with the rest of the content. And it's almost like having a designated driver on New Year's Eve. That's really the <laughs> editor can be something like that. Because uh, they're the one that really is has a clear mind and everyone else is kind of too close to it to uh, see if it's as good as it could be. So very easy. If you've got four people, you just say, okay, you right there, you are the now editor and you're going to look at everything. The DE. The DE, the, <laughs> the designated editor. I like that. Now Taylor's coming up with dad jokes. <laughs> see how fun it is? But uh, that's exactly right. Yeah. Letting someone just say, okay, you're the one that's going to look at everything. That's a lot of responsibility because when it goes out on the web, it better be good. Yeah. Or they'll yeah. blame the editor, not the writer, right? Yeah. And if it's possible, it always is helpful to have someone that does have a bit of a content background. You know, somebody who is, maybe it's been, they help write your newsletter or they have, you know, somewhat of an understanding of something Basic like AP style. writing yeah, principles, and, yeah. And it is, and it's just because they kind of have that internal checklist, if they will. Even if you don't have a formalized style guide, for example, you're just getting started, they'll have that internal checklist to kind of be able to check off, and then they'll see things over time of like, well, maybe we're writing this way, but we should be writing this way. And that's probably the person that can help start to set up some of those different guidelines and then bring you into everything like governance and yeah. so, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So if you have someone that has some content background, that is always very helpful for your team. Yeah, to be transparent, I would hope they would hire an editor that has some kind of content background. I think that would be the most helpful. But <laughs> So lastly, I wanted to get into brand voice and tone standards. And I know you guys mentioned Rachel, and I think that's more of her expertise within the Content Center of Excellence. Because you guys work with so many different clients and you're always, you know, juggling different projects and stuff. So on a project by project basis, how do writers ensure that they're maintaining a consistent brand voice and tone? Yeah, this is a very, very important topic. And uh, as you mentioned, Rachel Bennett, who's on our team, a fantastic person, is our brand and voice manager. She really has some certifications in website experience, content experience, et cetera, and she does a great job. But all of us writers deal with that every day. Voice and tone is critical to any communication. And I always talk about this even in your own personal life. If you have children or your spouse or your neighbor or your brother or your mother or your sister, or if you're writing for the web, the approach that you take is either gonna make or break you when it comes to communicating your message and getting your message through and creating meaningful conversation between people. So yes, you're right. Voice and tone of a scientific research company is gonna be very different than the voice and tone of create your own funny t-shirt company. <laughs> and we've had the pleasure of working with customers exactly in those and everything in between. So before we start writing, we understand we work very hard to work directly with our customers to understand who is your audience? What is your tone? Sometimes people say, well, what do you mean by tone? Give us some adjectives. How would you describe your company? Well, we're fun and we want to be creative and we want to be free spirited and we want people to laugh and smile. Then the scientific company might say, well, we want to be the leaders in our field. We want to be respected. We want to be shown as a great academic institution, whatnot. Knowing that is critical. Before you write one word on a piece of paper, you have to know whom you're writing about and who you are writing to. 
Can I just add that you also, I think, look for clues, right? Like you'll look for clues of what is needing to be accomplished from a tone perspective. So that can be everything from maybe they have an existing page or they have a, a partner that has an existing page that they say, man, I love this. This is exactly what I'm going for in terms of the tone I want to portray on our site. Uh, maybe they have a couple of marketing materials or something like that, or maybe they don't and they just have the list of adjectives or the ways that they want to describe themselves. So they're looking to us to be able to create that voice for them and to be able to portray that tone throughout the, the breadth of the content. And so really what we do is we listen. I mean, we listen to them and we put together content with all of those constructs in mind. And by the way, sometimes customers come to us and they don't know what their tone or their audience should be. And that's okay. Yeah. We help them figure that out. You know, for anyone listening out there who might say, well, gee, I don't know about all those things. I better not work with AmericanEagle.com because I don't know. We're exactly the right company to work with because we will help you develop those things. So whether you know it or you don't, whatever level you're at, we can help you refine it and really take it to a new level. I love the whole adjective thing because even if a company doesn't know essentially, you know, like what kind of tone they want and what kind of their brand voice I think, you know, if you asked a CEO or you asked a director, can you at least give me three adjectives that you would use to describe your company? I think they could do that, you know, and then that would help immensely in trying to develop the kind of brand voice and tone that they would ultimately want for their business. Yeah, we try and avoid like, you know, every industry has jargon that they use and they fly all these acronyms and everything. And All human beings are guilty sometimes if they're talking to someone else that's not in their business, they'll fly an acronym or jargon or whatever. Use the fanciest words they can think of. Yeah, (laughs) exactly, just to show how smart they are. When I was a kid, tone was a knob on your radio that you would would turn, you know? So some people may not be familiar with that website industry tone, but yeah, tell me three adjectives that describe your company. And people really enjoy, they enjoy that because they can just, you know, whip it right off the top of their head, so... And I almost feel like it makes it better when it's more off the cuff. You shouldn't sit there and think for an entire day, okay, well, what three adjectives am I going to tell my writing team to write about? I think it's you get more honest and more just transparency when you're off the cuff of just the three adjectives. And one great question we ask that kind of goes off of this adjectives idea is, why do you take pride in what you do? You know, that's the easiest entry point for somebody to say, well, here's why I love what I'm doing, or here's why what we do is important. You know, and, and that's almost always such a great springboard to jump off of, to be able to start to understand, okay, this is how they want to talk about themselves. Maybe their current you know, site and the current content doesn't do this. That's why they want to come and work with us. We can help them do that. We can help them create you know, that voice that they want based off of just having that conversation and really understanding you know what their main goal is yeah and that goes into what we talk about a lot is the why you know you have the what and the how and the why and i always use this example you know we've had the pleasure of working with many many industries but one of the ones we work with also is like for example the plumbing or hvac companies so the what is okay they do plumbing or hvac services the how they have all the best trucks and tools and certified technicians okay so is that going to motivate me to call them versus someone else what's the why the why is that we've been in business since 1932 and we're a family business and we care and we will be there at three o'clock in the morning when your house is freezing and we won't charge you extra and we guarantee our work for life those are the whys that's what motivates people to choose you over somebody else and that can be applied to any company we've helped your neighbor we're local in the community you know like we're a part of this just with you we are your neighbor yeah those are all elements that go with that so my last question for you guys today is 
How do writers prepare for projects and how do they become subject matter experts on such a large variety of topics? I mean, we have customers, like you said, from like scientific to HVAC to cars to just everything. Well, it's interesting you talk about a subject matter expert. One of the neat things about being a writer at AmericanEagle.com is that you do learn a lot of things and you do impress your family and friends when you go home and tell them <laughs> random statistics about different industries. <laughs> but the thing, when a customer comes, or a prospective customer comes to us, Taylor, and says, do you have experience writing an X? Very often we do, because we've worked with so many thousands of websites over the years, but it really is not the issue whether we have the expertise about that topic. The customer is the subject matter expert. And what we do is to work very carefully to understand what they want to say, how they want to say it, and why they want to say it. Once we get that expertise of that knowledge, then we can craft it as writers and put in the SEO elements and all the other things that are needed. So really, they're the subject matter experts, not us, but we can take their expertise and turn it into something really special for their website. Yeah, and I think where our strengths lie is that we are the experts when it comes to the marketing of it, right? We're yeah. the experts when it comes to the laying out of what that content should look like. So oftentimes we may have something that's an extremely complex topic or an extremely complex industry that we're, we're needing to speak to, and we can get that information, but we can also, in advance, help to say, okay, this is how we think from a user experience perspective, from an SEO perspective, from just the person who's going to be reading that piece of content perspective, the best way that we would know from our experience of how to put it together. And and that's, I think, where our expertise comes in. But yeah, we will never say that, oh, we're the expert on your business, because yeah. we're not. You're, they're the uh, expert. Yeah. But we can help them facilitate what they want to say. We know what we do not know. Yeah. So our expertise, customers come to us not because we know about the plumbing industry, but because we know how to turn a plumbing website into a winner to get more customers and keep customers. Yeah, and I think one of the things about me that makes a good writer is knowing what kind of questions to ask. If you can excel at the kind of questions that you need to pull out of that subject matter expert, you can figure out anything. Very true, very true. You have to be kind of investigators. You have to be yeah. kind of like an interviewer. You really do, and that's we do interview customers. Yeah. We get on the phone or go to their place of business and talk to them and Tell us about yourself. Tell us about why are you different? What are you trying to do? Who's your audience? What kind of tone do you want to have? And it's just fun. We love doing it. It is. I talk with Al a lot about how we have writers from all different backgrounds that are on our team. And, you know, they've come from different worlds. And for me, I mentioned I came out of broadcast journalism. So I was fascinated to find, you know, in my first couple of months even here to say, wow, I use so many of the skills that I used as a journalist of asking questions, being able to structure content, being able to think about, okay, what do I need to ask next when I'm putting this together to almost have in the back of my mind how yeah. I'm going to start to put, you know, the story together. And it's really true. We use so many of the different elements of the skills that we've acquired just over the years to be able to work on new projects every day. So for me, as a coming out of the world of broadcast journalism, it's been the perfect transition because I now get to go into a completely different world and use my skill set to this level, which is great. I love it. Every day is a joy to come to work. I came out of 20 plus years in the business world, working with a lot of different companies. And as Tyler said, it never occurred to me that when I you know, became a writer at AmericanEagle.com, how my exposure to so many different industries would inform my writing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and the neat thing about it, Taylor, is that at the end of the day, all businesses or associations or whatever you happen to have really have the same goals. They want to 
keep the people they have. They want to attract new people and they want to stand out in their industry as being a leader. And at the end of the day, that's what we try and do. And how we do it for each individual customer is unique. Well, I think you guys are doing a fantastic job. Well, thank you. Well, thank you for having us. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah. It's been a blast. It has been fun. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. I I learned a lot, and I'm sure our listeners will learn a lot as well. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Modern Marketing Messages. For more information about the topics discussed today, check out the description of this episode. And if you like this episode, follow this podcast wherever you listen to them to stay up to date with us. While you're at it, give us a rating and share this podcast with others. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Modern Marketing Messages. This episode is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. I'm Taylor Clark, and I'll be back with another Modern Marketing Message.